Westworld Season 1, Episode 2, Chestnut is over, but we're just getting started here on the Westworld Podcast on Post Show Recaps. Welcome to Westworld, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, very excited about this week's podcast because, you know, in the new world, this is the new world, you can podcast about whatever the F you want, and I'm going to do exactly that with my co-host, Joe Garfine, returning to the Westworld Podcast. Joe, what's going on? Oh, man, I was in the Hawaii narrative, and so... I hear the Hawaii narrative is pretty decent. It's okay. (laughs) It's very aloha, um, but it's a different man in black on the island narrative, so (laughs) I'm ready to delve back into this one. All right, so no no lost Ian man in black here, although maybe, who knows, we'll talk about that for sure. (laughs) Very different type of man in black on this show on Westworld. Joe was not here for our episode one recap. Joe is going to be the constant here with me throughout the rest of these podcasts here as we're talking about Westworld Season 1. Joe, how was Hawaii? Awesome trip. It looked great. It was ridiculously lovely and pleasant and warm. Um, I mean, everything that you actually stereotypically think about Hawaii, it happened, including magical dolphins appearing beside the boat we were on and double rainbows. It was was ridiculous. Now, when you say magical, just like because they were majestic or did they actually have powers? (laughs) could um, Could they stop snakes from moving by just waving their fins? They actually had unicorn horns, and they had rainbows, so they were great. Unicorn dolphins. I've never heard of such a thing. (laughs) Unicolphins. I don't know. I don't know how to hybrid hybrid that off the top of my head. We can work on that. Okay, Westeros. (laughs) Westeros world. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard not to do the Westeros world. We're only a minute into this podcast. We'll see how how I do. Big thanks to AJ Mass for filling in for Joe last week as we talked about the premiere, of course, AJ and Joe podcast about the 100 on the 100, the dropship, the dropship, the 100 podcast. So they are very familiar in terms of their podcasting dynamic. I know that you listened to the podcast, Joe. Did we do okay in your absence? Yes, it was it was very fun, and just like he does on our podcast, AJ is a little bit contrarian, which I love. Um, yes. But like he pointed out, I love the difference of opinion. That's what makes constructive analysis so much fun, and why I love podcasting, and why you and I are going to have fun because I'm going to come up with a crazy theory, and you are too, and then we're going to blow each other's out of the water every week. Yeah, the problem here though is like everyone knows I'm an apologist, and I just I I love to love things, and I I'm very I don't know I try to be critical where I can, but I do tend to just really like liking things. It's sort of my it's my blessing and my curse, Joe. I feel like we share that. Is that is that right i mean you're a lover you're a lover not a fighter uh, absolutely and you and i both share a level of positivity that people find absolutely annoying or endearing <laughs> right, yeah so it could go either way for any of you guys i mean it's the black hat and white hat choice i think you and i both choose white hat pretty much yeah pretty much i mean black hat might be fun every once in a while that uh, strays out of my uh, safety zone i think <laughs> you want to stay in sweet water you don't want to venture too far away from the town Accurate. 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 All right. So, Joe, since we have you here on the podcast for the first time since the episode started, of course, you and I got together to preview the whole show, and that was a ton of fun. But now we have more than just theoretical stuff to chew on. Obviously, we have tons of theories to chew on as well, but we have actual show to talk about. We've got two full episodes now that we can discuss. We'll focus mostly on episode two, but I'm sure your hot takes on episode one are going to come up here as we're talking about Chestnut. But before we dive into the second episode, since you were not here to talk about the first week lay it on me joe what are you thinking about westworld so far i feel like uh from the little that you and i have talked offline you're really digging the show so far i I do and i do love it i think that the world building and character development while quick has not been 
done in a way that I found grating. Like some shows when they are brand new, there's they they lack exposition and the world building feels forced. Whereas this feels like it's unfolding at a decent pace, especially knowing that we only have ten episodes this season, I believe. And so. Immediately, my conspiracy theory brain in my synapses were firing. Um, I have a lot of theories about the man behind the curtain or the team behind the curtain, um, you know, and the actual hosts and then the visitors and newcomers. And so it's completely up my alley, which is no surprise to anyone who read my law theories, who listens to the 100 podcast or follows me on Twitter. Um, I am very, very optimistic about this show, the direction. Uh, I think that the writing is very strong. The acting is kind of out of this world, as yeah. we've talked about. This cast, wow. Um, so I am completely 108% on board. You're in. In. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. That's great. So in terms of the pilot, I mean, one of the things that AJ had trouble with was not finding that the hosts were very accessible yet and that it didn't seem like there were enough point of entry characters here and that it wasn't quite clear yet if you should be feeling for the hosts on the show. Did you have that same issue? Did you encounter that at all or was that not problematic for you? It was, to no one's surprise, I completely disagree with AJ. I found, um, I like a, um, a little more gray area when it comes to that. And I don't need to necessarily, gray hat. Gray hat. Gray hat. I don't need to necessarily plant my roots for someone uh, in the first two episodes of a series. And so I kind of like the ambiguity of it. I find that the hosts are distinguishing themselves enough that I find it to be very satisfying. Yeah. Who's your favorite? Do you got a favorite host so far? <sighs> Gosh, I mean, I... I, to, to no one's surprise, probably Dolores, yes. um, because she is the oldest host and yet the youngest, if you know, physically. Um, Was that and, a big surprise for you? No. You felt um, that, you felt that coming. I, I did. And not to jump ahead, but I have, I have some theories about Dolores. Um, I'm shocked. And, I'm shocked to hear. <laughs> we'll get there. But um, <laughs> I'm drawn to her and her patterns and obviously her awakening. Yes. Yeah, well, that's More. obviously like a huge thing that's going on right now, and she's not alone in that. Um, right. It seems like the awakening is spreading, and it's discussed at one point um, between, I think the character is Elsie, I think is the is one yes. of the technicians with Bernard, of like, uh, you know, kind of describing it in this episode uh, very briefly and almost, you know, like kind of like checking themselves afterwards of like talking about it as a contagion for a hot second and then being like, that's crazy, you know, it's a glitch. Uh, right. But it feels like something's spreading. It feels like something is spreading throughout Westworld. It is. It's a digital virus, and I can't wait to unpack it. Okay. <laughs> All right. How about on the human side? Who are you liking? Oh, I mean, I, I actually I'm really drawn to Elsie, played by Shannon Woodward. Um, who, if you go to the the uh, Westworld Discover Westworld site and go behind the scenes to their quote unquote you know uncovered emails, it says Elsie's an HR, which I find interesting. Um, because HR, you know, stands for usually a human relations, you know, right. and so she seems to be really busy body's not the right word, but she's in, you know, inserting herself into places where she clearly doesn't belong. And, uh, it's a seen... dangerous thing to do in Westworld, by the <laughs> yes. way. Yes. You pay, she... you pay top dollar to insert yourself in places you don't belong. And like Dr. Ford, she put on age appropriate clothing and actually appeared in the actual narrative. And so, you know, I found that to be very interesting that, 
the people running the show can also insert themselves in there. And so I have my eye on Elsie. Yeah, she's she's a fun character so far. I think she's a fun one to watch. I'm Team Bernard right now. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is crushing it as this character. And I've got questions about him. I'm sure we're going to get into some of those. But some curious developments with him here in week two. Absolutely. Yeah, really, really curious developments with him. I think that in terms of, un- unless you've got anything else about episode one that you want to talk about quickly, I'm good to start talking about Chestnut and then anything else that you've got about the premiere, I'm sure will come up as we talk further about this episode. Yeah, let's just start with episode two because I think some of my theories will spill over. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the big deal this week, um, and it was something that AJ and I were talking about, is that there wasn't a ton of emphasis on the guests. You weren't really, um, you know, there wasn't really a POV character on the guest side of things. Certainly we're dealing with humans in the behind the scenes, the people who are running Westworld. But people who are coming here, you really just get the guy that shoots Paolo in the face and <laughs> all of that. You know, the, the family that's there vacationing and they talk to Dolores. But there isn't really, and the man in black, of course, but he's such an enigma on his own um, that he doesn't really count in this regard. But the film, the Westworld movie, 1973, the Michael Crichton film, focuses on two guests primarily. And that really, that that perspective was not shown in the premiere. It's very active here as of episode two. We are seeing William and Logan, two new characters that are arriving here in Westworld, uh, played by Ben Barnes plays Logan and Jimmy Simpson playing William. And these kind of feel to me like the analogs of the two main characters in Westworld. One who is a seasoned veteran of this place, knows the lay of the land a little bit, knows that they want to get a little bit hedonistic, and then the other guy who's maybe playing it a little straighter and is not quite comfortable really going all the way into the pool here, is going in kind of one toe at a time, and even then might be a little too quick for his liking. What do you think of William and Logan so far, these two new characters that premiered this week? I mean, I think, you know, if anything, Logan's a little bit on the nose of being the douche. I mean, you know, he's the guy that you think, oh, if something's going to happen to a human, it's something bad's going to happen to him. Yeah, it feels <laughs> that way, right? <laughs> uh, but that's okay. I mean, and then, you know, there are two sides. One is dark, one is light. Not just having him pick the black hat, whereas William picks the white. But that's a good you know? touch. It's like visually making it clear how you're supposed oh. to feel about these two guys. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think uh, Logan has some more hedonistic uh, desires, obviously. And and, and we learn that William has someone or he says he has someone at home. And so, you know, I'm actually hoping not to skip ahead that we learn some of the backstories of the actual visitors. Yeah, well, I think that that's probably pretty likely. Uh, I, I think that we're seeing that William and Logan, as far as that question about, like, are we going to get to know the visitors? Are we going to get to know the guests at all? Uh, sure, we didn't get to really know these people at all. They weren't in the first episode. But they seem to be big presences right now. I think um, I don't think it's spoiling too much to say that these are characters on the show. Uh, right. And if they're characters on the show and if we're expected to really dig into the histories of all these people, I think these are prime candidates for much greater elaboration as we move forward. Well, I really am drawn to um, – I keep saying drawn to, but I like William because he has immediate humanity and hesitation. Um, and so I find obviously him more relatable uh, than any of the visitors thus far. He's not out there to just shoot people because he can without consequence or get laid by three girls. Right. Uh, he, I, I'm very curious about – his actual motivations, I question what they might be. 
Yeah, well, he, you know, he picks up the old prospector, right? Like, the prospector falls in the puddle, and he goes to help him out. He's like, oh, jeez, thank you, Sir William. It's so nice to meet you. Let me take you on my treasure hunt. And Lo- Logan wants nothing to do with that. He's going to stab this guy in the hand with a steak knife at one point because he's a <laughs> psycho. Uh, or at least he doesn't, you know, he doesn't see the host as anything more than just playthings, so he's willing to go that far. But William shows himself to be a nice enough guy to the old prospector that I think it's shows you what his outlook on this place is at least he he comes across to us as uncomfortable with this place Uh, at least he comes across that way to me are you suspicious of him on another level um i'm suspicious of uh a seemingly normal dude undergoing this experience i feel like he's investigating right well they talk about uh they talk about how they weren't supposed to talk about work at one point, like they're having, yes. they're having a steak dinner and it's like, I thought we weren't supposed to talk about work. And Logan says something to the effect of who says we're not working right now. So exactly. there's a working relationship between these two. And I think it's also instructive that William says, I wouldn't exactly call him a friend when he's with Clementine later in the, in the brothel. Um, yeah. So I think that that sort of shines some light on the friendship that William doesn't seem to like Logan that much. Are you picking up the same thing? Oh, yeah. It seems like it's a corporate assignment. Right. It feels like these two are on a business trip together or at least I I don't know if it's like if it's an official business trip together or that's just like their colleagues and this is like a getaway. But there's there seems to be like that is really the extent of it, that they are in each other's work lives um, and probably not too far past that. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And so Logan really wants to see what this place can draw out of William. So I think that Logan also sees William as kind of a buttoned up individual. Um, William, who, you know, he's he's looking out and he's looking at the place and Logan is already being mischievous as they're rolling into Westworld for the first time, not even rolling into uh, Sweetwater, but really just getting into the staging area. Uh, And they're already having kind of, uh, you know, foul language filled banter at that point. So I think it's pretty clear pretty quickly that William doesn't have a lot of love for Logan. And maybe Logan looks at William like he's a little bit of a dweeb. Uh, That seems to be the dynamic to me. And there's some key dialogue. I think it's delivered by Logan, but I have some notes here. The, you can't kill anyone you're not supposed to. Right. That that caught my ear because you're not supposed to. I mean, is this a predetermined control situation? Well, I think, you know... To to me that that meant like there there are fail safes in play where you can't kill people like you can't kill humans. you can't kill humans but like how is that enforced there are like right. there are like little nitty gritty things about how Westworld is run that still aren't you know totally clear to me like what would stop logan from stabbing that steak knife into william's face if he wanted to right like what gets in the way of him being able to do that i get if people have like individualized force fields or whatever the man in black has where bullets just bounce right off him or get (laughs) incinerated on impact or however the hell that technology works but how do you just stop a steak knife would the same thing happen Would the knife just break i guess we're gonna have to Pretend to be patient and find out. Well, what did you think of that line, though, of uh, you can't kill anybody that you're not supposed to? What do you think is going on there? Well, to me, I mean, my conspiracy theory ear is lit up for that because I feel like it's part of 
the details gleaned. There are probably details in the application for this experience that, that uh, ha- have to do with how they're programmed into their narrative, how, who, how, not programmed, how the humans interact with certain hosts based on their application and the information they provided. So I feel like there are people, there are hosts put into play into narratives based on who's visiting at the time. Yeah. What did you think of the way that um, that they got to whatever the facility is, whatever the Ugh. the staging facility is, and you get geared up and everything is your size and you are greeted by what seemed to me to be hosts? Did you think that these were humans or did you find these to be um, artificial creatures as well? Are you talking about like the, the people dressed in white? Yeah, the, le- the leftovers uh, yes. on glam on glam squad. Yeah, the the sinful remnant, the you know yeah. gu- the guilt free remnant. That's where they all disappeared to. They went to hot tech heaven. <laughs> yes, I love hot tech heaven. <laughs> no, I thought they were hosts for sure. Um, and I, I, it's so interesting because I love the idea of having hosts like Teddy come in on a train and having people like Bernard go to work on a train and then having, you know, there's a third train in play, which is the virtual train. It seems that the visitors come in on, which is turns into this virtual experience. And so I think it's just interesting that there's a a train for each of the three categories. Wait, talk to me about the virtual train. I'm not sure if I'm following. Okay, well, they, uh, when he first, um, when Teddy arrives, you know, into his narrative as a host, he's on a train. Right. Seemingly with other visitors. Like, I mean, visitors, he's a host. They don't know he's a visitor. They don't know he's a host. Right. Right. Didn't um, Logan and William arrive on a train that was transformed into a saloon? Yeah, they were on they well they walked down the hallway. I the mechanics of this didn't make a ton of sense to me. They walked down this hallway, you know, it's like the it's like the scene in Willy Wonka where yes. you're going down like the hallway and it's getting tinier and tinier and tinier and then you burst through the doors and you're in the middle of chocolate heaven which rivals hot tech heaven, I think, in terms of places you want to go to, but suddenly that place that you just walked through like you know, William see like everyone feels that shaking and William goes, all right, so how do we get to Westworld? And then suddenly they are, you know, on a train, they are moving forward. That's where they're going. Um, so I think that they're, that the saloon, like, is it the bar in the back of the train? Right. I, I think that the, the mechanics of that are a little funky to me so far. I don't know how much that's thought through or how much we're really supposed to be drilling down into that. Or if it's just kind of like a weird little thing that you have to forgive the show for. But when you, you are, when you say, are- well, when you say virtual train do you mean like literally like a digital train are these people physically here that's what i'm wondering so the the train we see teddy arriving on with other visitors is it real is it the same train that brings william and logan i mean again i think trains might be irrelevant it's just that i noticed that the people who run westworld take trains to work and the people who arrive in westworld take trains and you know you could if i wanted to be silly about it i could say this is because you know the the man behind the curtain is the giant conductor of the trains and again it's gonna go off the rails you're welcome yeah i don't i don't know i think i mean there there is the um there's like the holographic thing, right? Like that everyone yeah. in the control room seems to be looking at. And I was talking to a friend who was wondering if that's like, are, so are they, are they shrunk down? Not to go back to Willy Wonka, but are they Mike, <laughs> are they Mike TV? Like what happens to these people? Is Westworld just this tiny little thing in the control room? Uh, I would be shocked if that's the way we're going, but do you think it's out of the realm of possibility that there's some sort of, I don't know, like matrix thing type of type of thing going on here? To me, it's all just a, 
future, you know, 7D model digital. I, I just, I don't see it as, a, as an actual like uh, Truman Show of digitized small people. Yeah, no, that would be, that would be hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that'd be difficult. Yeah, but you and I are logistics nerds, which is why we think about details like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it happens every now and then. Uh, <laughs> for right now, I'm trying just to take that aspect of it at face value, that these two people are coming into Sweetwater. Sweetwater is a flesh and blood place where, I don't know, like, I do wonder, like, could you just stab somebody with a steak knife and who would be there to stop you? So I feel like exactly. that kind of... That, and I think because the writers are logistic nerds as well, I think that Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, who run the show, I think that they are they are so detail oriented uh, that you got to imagine that some scenario that's going to test the limits of that is going to play out at some point in the weeks ahead. But it was just it was the thing that was on my mind as soon as Logan stabbed the old prospector. I was just kind of like, oh gosh, How, this <laughs> this feels like this feels like potentially very very bad news. Well, they, you know, we're, we're expecting the hosts to melt down and have system failure, but it could be the humans. It could be. I mean, it's very likely both, right? It's right. It's some mix of the two. I mean, maybe the, the hosts are the ones that melt down first in terms of they're becoming more self-aware, and that's really going to cause some of these humans to do something irresponsible. Uh, but it feels like some collision in that form is on the way. Oh, I can't wait. I know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really good. Anything else about William and Logan that caught your eye this week? No, I'm looking forward to more of their misadventures. It's great. I know that you said, like, Logan, like, maybe, like, a little bit more of a caricature, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's like this is the guy who's a, who's a jerk, and he's clearly here to really, really roll in it. His first thing that he says is, like, F you, Grizzly Adams, you know? <laughs> he's just such a prick immediately. But I think that Ben Barnes plays the role with such relish that yeah. even though he comes across as a little 2D right now, and even though you are waiting for, like, I don't know, Dolores to just, like, turn toward him and punch his entire head off in one clean <laughs> move, you'll love that moment when you get there. But it's the same thing with, like, I don't want to spoil Game of Thrones with specifics, but, but there's a character in the first season who is such a shit and you're just waiting for something awful to happen to this shit, but you don't think it's going to happen this early in the show. And that character is taken off the board in really, really glorious liquid metal <laughs> fashion at a fairly early point. And it's really, really fun. But it's only that fun because the actor was so good at playing that, you know, scumbaggy type of character. And I think Ben Barnes is doing a similar thing with Logan where I cannot wait for this guy to get his comeuppance. And it feels inevitable. At some point, that guy is going to go down. I like it because he's so not over the top, but he's so, um, you know, gesticulating that you could tell he's not a host. Whereas the more, you know, Williams and more mellow do that you might question a conspiracy theory that he's inserted as a host. I mean, these are things that cross my mind. Do you think that that's on the table for that character? Or you think that William might be some sort of experiment to see, like, what does a what does a mild mannered type of host do? Like, what does that look like? Do you think that there's something here where he, you know, if this is an assignment, is the assignment like is Logan testing like the human limits of this human-like host. Do you think that that's something that's on the table? I think William could be one of Dr. Ford's secret future, part of secret future narrative and host, yes. We definitely, we'll talk about Dr. Yeah. Ford, but Dr. Ford definitely has some secrets already that we saw. I love that reveal with the kid. We'll talk about that for sure. Yes. Um, let's get into, let's get into Maeve. Let's get yes. into, into Tandy Newton's character who, for my money, that's the performance of the episode and, and really pick your scene, right? Like, yeah. you know, she's just a top to bottom uh, is, is so good, is so good in this role and has to do a 
a lot of really challenging work as an actor. Um, the whole look behind the curtain, you know, her, you know, bearing it all, being fully naked and so vulnerable and having to see how her people are dealt with, uh, and really probably having no clue what she's looking at in that behind the scenes look. And that's just one of the many scenes that like she really has to be super vulnerable for. I was so impressed with her this week. I thought she was awesome. Oh, for sure. I felt like it was her episode. And, you know, I thought what's fascinating is she looks like she's horrified. She's a host. She's a robot. But the look when she gets into cold storage. Yes. I feel like if there's something that's going to stick in her memory and help with the meltdown in the future, it's going to be that. Yeah. It's going to be helpful when they take over. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about ramifications of that for sure. Uh, You know, it's a it's a turbulent episode for her. Because it really starts right around the time that Dolores is in Sweetwater. She comes to Sweetwater, as she often does. These are their loops. It's fun to see them on constant repeat. <laughs> she comes to Sweetwater. Uh, Maeve has a moment with her. I forget exactly what she, what she says, but she stops her in the street. And Dolores turns to Maeve and repeats what her father had said in the first episode, what, uh, or at least what her original father or her father as it started out before he got replaced, what the original Abernathy said, which is this line, these violent delights will have violent ends. Um, and Dolores just sort of like looks at Maeve and stares deep in her eyes and says that and has this kind of scary look on her face and then snaps back into her routine as if nothing had happened. And Maeve, you know, maybe because programming doesn't allow it, because there's only so much improvisation that the hosts are allowed, who knows? She doesn't really seem to process it. But for me, that felt like a trigger. That felt like the, you know, a a key phrase that is that, you know, instigates everything that we see from Maeve for the rest of the episode where pretty quickly, you know, as soon as the radio head comes on and we're in the no surprises scene where yes. Maeve is talking to a you know a prospective client and trying to give the story about what she heard when she came to the new world and she starts glitching and starts seeing visions. It feels to me, tell me if you're feeling differently, that this is triggered by what Dolores said. It absolutely is. I think that whoever, you know, I have this long-standing conspiracy theory that there is a mole on the side of the programming, uh, on the side of, you know, the people who created the host. There is someone who has inserted a very subtle, uh, undetectable digital glitch code, and it's a series of words. And I do believe that the Violet Delights is, you know, a trigger. I also believe then because she's repeated it more than once that the this is a new world and in this world you can be whoever the f you want that we hear from tandy newton that is another trigger and i feel like you know i was originally convinced there'd be some kind of um chemical glitch chemical something insert inserted in them that causes a glitch in a corporeal being but i do think it's a tech insert i do think that it's something that's undetectable by by corporate control I thought that the that line specifically and like the whole speech that she gives about how uh, how Maeve, you know, was, uh, you know, she was across the ocean and she crossed the sea and she had these horrible circumstances and she kept having these voices of doubt. And then she crosses the sea and she gets here and she hears the voice again and it says, welcome to the new world. You can do whatever the F you want here to me. And then, then she has the line with Teddy, you know, once she finally successfully sells it, it's so hard for her to get the words 
out in the first scene. And then the second mm-hmm. time she does it, her aggression levels have been amped up to, you know, improbable amounts to, to a degree where it, nothing productive is going to happen. But when it finally works and she finally sells the client and hooks him up with Clementine, which is a very shrewd move, yeah. I, I love that she goes to Teddy and Teddy is like, uh, that sounds like, you know, do you believe your own bullshit there? And she, you know, goes on and tells the other side of what it is that she really felt uh where you know what i the first thing i heard when i got off the boat was was this guy who told me that he could take me to his place in louisiana and sell me for two bucks a day and i could keep 30 percent of the profits so (laughs) so i love that i love that story but to me it felt like that's all part of the programming too right like for for mave she has a full story that's programmed in her mind like that's a sales pitch that she's constantly using but as far as mave knows of what she believes her history to be she she feels that that speech is bullshit right do you, do right. you see it differently or do you because you you say that you see that as a trigger word you see that line where she says you can be whatever the f you want to be you think that that's also some sort of programming code as well i feel like she's repeating it more than anything else and that that's going to be one of the things that when she comes to so to speak or when she has her awakening or you know when the robots take over that's going to be the phrase that they realize is absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, at the, I mean, I think that, you know, whether or not that's like a very like plot specific thing where it's unlocking some sort of thing for her, I think at least metaphorically, it's really speaking to where the show is driving at. Yes. Uh, where, you know, welcome to the new world and in the new world, you can be whatever the F you want to be. Some of these hosts are driving toward the new world faster than others, but that's the promise of the show that the hosts right. are eventually going to come to this new world. And once they get here, you have no idea who they're going to be. They can be whoever they want. Right. Uh, okay, one of the more interesting things that I would love to talk about is the fact that they program nightmares. But one of the things that Maeve says is, in my dreams, I felt free. Right. Yeah, they give the, what? How does that work? So, so I think Elsie Elsie is the one who's talking about that, about how, uh, or or is it Bernard? I forget who exactly explains what's going on. But like, we give them the idea of dreams, specifically nightmares. Why do they do that? That seems so cruel. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the scene where it seems like Maeve is having a nightmare where she's getting chased down by the scalping man. Yes her and the child. At first I thought, okay, that's an inserted nightmare. But then I went and rewound it. Those are characters. Those are fellow hosts from the narrative that I'm forgetting his name, that the evil little prick is Sizemore. suggesting. Thank Sizemore, you. Yes. That Tom Sizemore Jr. is suggesting <laughs> to Ford and his team as the new narrative, yeah. the Odyssey on Red River, because it is, I, I'm almost hundred percent sure that those are the hosts that they are. So my, one of my big theories is what Maeve sees is not a nightmare, but a premonition. It is a flash forward oh god okay so that's blowing my mind a little bit here because i i was taking those scenes at face value of like you know we we already it's it's baked into the premise these hosts have lived other lives um you know dolores is the oldest host in westworld she's been here for 30 years she probably hasn't just always been abernathy's daughter you know she's who, who knows what she has done anything is possible she could have been a bounty hunter at one point she could be a firefighter i don't know whatever you want to say she could uh I don't know. She was at the local theater. She was anything. She was anything you want her to be. And why couldn't that be the same with Maeve? And so I was watching those scenes as Maeve becoming aware 
of a prior life where she was a mother, uh, where she had a daughter, where life was great. And then, oh, my God, life was suddenly viciously terrible. And she met, you know, her her violent delights met a violent end. Her not-so-violent delights met a violent end. Uh, And she has this history with the man in black who shows up in that moment. But it had not even occurred to me to think that this could be, I don't know, is this the deeper level that the man in black is driving at? Is it Ford's new narrative that Ford is trying to establish that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast? Uh, The fact that she, that, that this could be some sort of future event wasn't even on my radar. Uh, That's interesting. Interesting possibility. I I think it's implanted. uh, It's an implanted uh, code, uh, part of the glitch to make her fearful of when she sees these new hosts being introduced because she says a, a, a sense of what's coming. And so I think that's part of the whole design of whoever, again, I don't know who the mole is, but I feel like it's part of the design. I totally interpret that as a flash forward. And so with that in mind, I'm now going to view other you know, quote, memories and nightmares like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've already watched the episode three times. I can't do a fourth. <laughs> you know, I, I need I need to get myself, I need to get, get into some other shows before I can go for the fourth rewatch of episode two of Westworld. But I, I'm now really intrigued to at least go back to the scene where Sizemore is presenting the Odyssey on Red River. Um, yeah. and showing off the cast of characters that he's created, uh, and the Native American who has a nose that he likes this time. Uh, <laughs> so are you saying that, like, you recognize some of those figures in the flash forward? Yes. Interesting. So if you go back and if you look at that, there are, there are similar players. They are similar. And, and what got me was um, the the scalper. I don't want to use the wrong language. Like the Native American man who had the, um, you know, was chasing her for her scalp. He had the same, looked like the same exact makeup as the host that was introduced by Sizemore. Interesting. So let's take that a step further because we already know, I mean, like, could it, could it be just like a scalping on the surface of it for like the sake of, you know, violence and barbarianism or whatever? Like, sure, possible. But the only scalping we've seen on Westworld so far was for a deeper purpose. It was what the man in black does to the card dealer in the first episode when he brings him up to the mountain. And we see that scalp pretty prominently in this episode mm-hmm. when the man in black hooks up with Lawrence, uh, the Clifton Collins Jr. character. And yes. the scalp has what looks to be a maze, a map of a maze on the inside of the scalp. Do you think that, A, other characters have similar clues on the inside of their heads, and B, could Maeve be one of them, and that's part of the scalping here? Um, I don't know if Maeve would have it. I feel like it's such an interesting part of the game because the people who created the maze map in the skullcap also provide weapons including things that can scalp to the hosts and the visitors and so they know it's a possibility so to me it's part of the grand design it's part of the game that you you might actually happen upon a map if you know how to use the right tool and weapon Uh, it's super depraved and dark but i love the idea that that's how the man in black, I feel like after 30 years, he finally, after going back many, many times, he finally realized the key is in someone's scalp. That's crazy. It's literally in their head. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things, so I was at New York Comic Con this past weekend, and I got to go to the Westworld panel, uh, which was great. It was really fun. Got to watch episode two in front of a big audience. It was really cool. Um, but the, but the creators were kind of talking about, you know, they were asked about the man in black and man, talk about coy. Like there's some coy people in show business, but Jonah Nolan is among the coyest that I, <laughs> that I have seen. That guy is not giving up anything. He's really, keeping, and that's great. It's awesome. He's keeping the show on lock and key. I don't mind a little bit more accessibility than what he is willing to give out, but give Westworld some more time. Maybe he'll open up a little bit more. Uh, but he was talking about, and him and Lisa Joy were talking about how they liked the idea of the man in black as, um, you know, sort of a, a surrogate for the types of gamers that once they are really, when, when they really spend time on a video game, when they really dig down into a game, several communities will, uh, they'll hack a game apart and they will, you know, they will find the warts, they'll find the flaws, they'll find the exploits. They'll really play a game so that they can do things that you would not normally think to do. Um, for me, like I remember a, a year or two ago, my friend and I, my old college roommate was visiting me and we loved playing Final Fantasy games together when we were kids, yeah. when we were like in our you know early 20s and everything. And there's this uh, there's this really horrible death that occurs in the game Final Fantasy VI of this really badass character who gets killed. He's not a playable character or anything, but like there were legends that you can bring General Leo back to life if you go to the Red Shell Island and do this thing. And, <laughs> and like all sorts, like that's not even accurate, but like all sorts of nonsense that you could do to bring this character back, and nothing worked. And then two years ago. Ben, my friend Ben and I became aware of an actual hack in the game where if you did like, if you like saved, if you didn't save the whole game, if you reached this one point, blah, 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 you actually could game the game, like not in a plot driven way, but you could break the code so that General Leo would not only be alive, but now you could play as General Leo. And then all sorts of other weird hacks would happen in the game because you've broken the game so far. And awesome. I, and I, I think that that kind of thing, like I was reading about like the Legend of Zelda Wind Wave, there was something that came up this past week like gaming communities really love this kind of thing and i think that the writers are really interested in the man in black in that capacity as somebody who is an expert gamer i think that this show as an allegory for gaming uh is really really present in the writer's room and i think they like the idea of the man in black as something of a hacker somebody yes. who who knows that like there's a quote-unquote deeper level to this maze like there's a there's you know where's the maze there's a deeper level to this game that that might not necessarily be like a narrative that was constructed although it could be that as well but it also could be he wants to go behind the scenes he wants to go behind the curtain he wants to go past the veil in a way that he's not supposed to in a way that the visitors the guests are not supposed to but if you just so happen to hack the scalp off of the right person you might be clued into some behind the scenes glitches so i think that's such a really interesting thing that this show might be exploring on a narrative level i think it's a really really cool idea I love it. So, yeah, I mean, I hope it's true. I feel like after 30 years, he's finally discovered, you know, one of the secrets. That's why he doesn't want to leave. He says he's never going out. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the man yeah. in black in, in real detail when we get there. Uh, but I, I love these scenes with Maeve. I love that Maeve is, uh, you know, it's not working out for her. I think that she's really shaken by the Dolores thing. I think Dolores has, you know, knocked a screw loose in, in Maeve. And so she's, whether it's a flashback or a flash forward, she's seeing visions of something. And she's seeing something that's very, that feels very real and feels very, very hard to articulate 
uh, and to understand, very different from her current worldview. Live, you know, basically seeing an alternate dimension as far as she can figure. Uh, and they're, you know, messing with her, you know, uh, her aggression levels because people don't really understand how uh, how human behavior works. So they think that she's a hooker. Why not? Like, what? Ah. You know, it's such a stupid thing. And then, of course, your girl Elsie, Elsie, who's great, comes along. And is like, we don't need to do any of that. Like, just make her a little more perceptive, and she's fine. She's good to go. And, See, when- and I interpret that as a total like conspiracy red flag. Like, she's you know keeping her active because she needs her interesting interesting so i took it i took it as like elsie gets it like elsie understands how people work this is why she's in quote-unquote hr human behavior or host behavior perhaps whatever it is because she gets it like she understands people better than just the schmucks that were messing with Maeve before uh right. but if you are on mole patrol and <laughs> and i love mole patrol as much as the next person so hashtag I'll- yeah, I'm I'm in hashtag mole patrol all the time, so I'm happy to be here with you. hadn't really <laughs> hadn't really thought about Elsie in that capacity with that scene, but that raises some flags for you. You think that this is a you know I need Maeve out there. Maeve can't be decommissioned for good. We need to make sure that she's there. So let me tinker with her and make sure that it's right. And also remember Elsie's reaction to Clementine last week when she was, uh, you know, being uh, analyzed. Uh, Elsie had a little smooch of her. Yes. So maybe she needs mom because she needs Clementine. Yeah, it got very kissy, those two. I'm just saying there's some maybe some alternate reasons that Elsie needs to keep them together and working. Yeah, so we'll see. That's fun. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stay on Mole Patrol. I gotta, okay. I gotta get back on page with with where you're at. I'm not watching these people with uh, nearly uh, enough of a suspicious eye. I'm just, <laughs> just looking for the good in people, Joe. That's all. I, that's all I, I, sh- I should remind people that you know I spent years analyzing Lost, and I, I it's, it's both ruined and made everything amazing <laughs> for me because I I watch everything. It could be a half hour comedy, and I watch it with a little bit of not skepticism, but with an, uh, a more critical eye, and and I kind of uh, try and unpack characters differently now yeah you're not paranoid joe you're just seeing everything clearly you know in a way that sure. in a way that the rest of us are not that's what it is okay yeah we'll, we'll go with that right you okay know? yes <laughs> we can exactly go, we can go with that what did you think of when tanny newton goes behind the curtain when she sees the cold storage when she sees all of that heartbreaking and very oh. very creepy it's brutal. First of all, I think she's the performer of the week, certainly of the series so far to me with this that particular, you know, sequence. Um, and you know, not just laying it bare physically, but I think emotionally, that was a very challenging scene, I would imagine. Yes. Uh, you know, we all know what a great actress she is, but this is just really a great illustration of her chops for sure. Um, boy, again, I'd be curious to see what she retains from this quote experience. If it's something that can that will be in, you know, in her brain, in her code, in her, under her skin, so to speak. Um, it also, it, I don't know if it was uh, the actors or the script, but it almost felt like she felt the surgery when she woke up, that she felt the physical pain, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, her abdomen is open. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's a horrifying thing to wake up to. Uh, and I think that you get the sense that the hosts feel physical pain. Um, you know, when people, you know, they're programmed to be super realistic. And fearful. And fearful. And so, you know, like going back to the prospector, you know, when he gets, <laughs> when he gets stabbed in the hand, he's not loving that, you know, he's not, yeah. he's not thrilled about that. So you could, you could definitely get that they would feel physical pain. And there's also probably like a certain level of like 
blood loss is going to knock him down. And she's definitely bleeding out in that yeah. moment. So you get, yeah, you can feel that she's feeling it. Yeah. I'm very curious to see what happens to her after this. So she wakes up in the middle of surgery. Uh, I was asking you before we came on the podcast, because one of those surgeons looked like a Whedon to me, like, looked like <laughs> you know, Joss Whedon has like 600 siblings and it looked like that guy was a Whedon to me, but I haven't done any research into it. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a Whedon or not, but he looked Whedon-esque to me. I'm sure uh, our four listeners will let us know via Twitter if <laughs> hey, we are wrong. Hey, it's eight. Eight listeners. Eight. Sorry. Eight listeners. 15, 16, yeah. 23, 42. 42. Damn, um, we're dead. Yeah. But I like the idea of having an inserted weed in here because it's a very dollhouse. This yes. show is a very dollhouse. A little bit. A little bit of the dollhouse. Yeah, we talked about yes. that with AJ last week, which was fun. That's to, right. Yeah, it was fun to trip back down the dollhouse rabbit hole for, for a minute. Um, but one thing that I think is instructive here is, so clearly these surgeons are idiots who... Yeah. You know, maybe they're talented doctors on some level, but pro- I don't know. I I would be worried about the doctors that couldn't keep their patient asleep. Um, she wakes up in the middle of it. That might be due to circumstances beyond their control if you're buying into, like, is somebody meddling with, with these people? Right. Uh, are, is somebody meddling with the hosts? Um, but what happens is they are – they are feeling like they have messed up, right? Like they are, yeah. they are freaking out. They're very, uh, they're very troubled by this. She leaves. She goes and sees the cold storage. She sees the bodies that are being washed off and getting like repaired for, <laughs> you know, further use. And then the surgeons come and they, they knock her out. Uh, but one of the things that the surgeon, one of the surgeons says is let's get her out of here before anyone sees. So, yeah. so you wouldn't think that they're going to follow any kind of protocol or procedure for what would be in the handbook for a situation like this if it were to emerge. So if there's some sort of mind wipe that needs to go on, did that happen? Or whenever she wakes up next, is she going to be carrying this with her? Is she going to have this experience that she's going to bring back to Westworld? I don't know, but I look at that scene and it's going, okay, if I'm a mole and I know which departments are inept, I know how easy it would be to insert a glitch. And that would be, you know, in the, so far in the surgery department. Yeah. You know? Just like buddy up with those guys. Uh, you, those are the guys you sit and watch Orphan Black while you drink your wine spritzers, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Well, I have yet to watch Orphan Black, so now what I What is know, wrong with so you? So now I know who I should watch the show with and what my beverage of choice will be. For you, it's a gin and tonic, but yes. <laughs> it's a tanqueray and tonic, thanks to you. Yes, it is. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, plenty of stuff to chew on with that character. Let's talk about uh, another host who is inching toward Awakening, uh, Dolores, who kills a fly at the end of the oh, premiere. I'm sure you loved that. So great. Good moment, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the iconic, like, obviously, uh, the core ding, code. Ding. The core code is you're not supposed to kill things, but you killed a fly. So what's going to stop you from killing other stuff? So they started small. They started small. Yes, yes. It always starts with a fly. So, <laughs> so Dolores is starting to kind of come into her own, and some weird things are happening with her. She has that line in the scene with Maeve where she says these violent delights will have violent ends. That's something that seems to be with her right now. Uh, yes. You know, we got that from Abernathy, and he whispered it to her. And mm-hmm. if that whisper is a trigger word, which is something that we're tracking, I think, then mm-hmm. she's on the journey toward it. Um, but what's up with the gun? What's up with the with the revolver that she's waking up in and uh, going out into the night and breaking from her routine? And why is that gun there? Is someone leaving this stuff for her to find? 
Okay, I have have a few varying theories on this, depending on who the mole is or who is working with Dolores. Bust them out. Okay, we've seen Elsie and Dr. Ford insert themselves in in age-appropriate clothes into the narrative. So, you know, anyone from behind the scenes could have planted the photo, could have planted the gun, or Dolores herself could have planted the gun uh, not knowing she did it. Uh, or it could be a visitor. Again, there's, there is a monitoring system of sorts, but not every inch of the land seems to be under monitor 24-7. So it's not like there's an alarm that goes off at HQ when little things like this are discovered. You know, um, my, my thing was, why wouldn't Dolores have a gun already? She has a shotgun, I believe, that she uses when she goes into town, or you know, she has it to protect herself. What is the significance of this gun who put it there you know I, I love it i love it because i have no clue yeah well one thing that comes to mind just as you bring it up like that is so the abernathys have a shotgun or whatever right like they've yes. got they've got a rifle they got whatever whatever firearm that they have in their place we've seen the hosts use firearms against guests they don't mm-hmm. work uh they fire Bullets are shot because they certainly use those guns to kill each other, the hosts. I see where you're going. But they don't work against the guests. So if this is a rogue gun, not a rogue one, although technically it would be a rogue one. Oh, snap. If it's a rogue gun and if it's not on the radar, if it's, you know, if it's from, you know, some some kid brings it to Westworld, you know, let's just go with like the most, you know, kind of like uh, just like happenstance version of this. Someone comes to Westworld packing heat, gets it past the security, which seems unlikely that they'd be able to do it and buries it, leaves it. And just over time, it gets, you know, covered in dirt or whatever. And you find that gun. That's not a Westworld gun. That's an actual gun. And maybe you can use that against human beings. So that's like the nice version of that. If you want to get more nefarious in your mole patrol sense of the way of of the (laughs) word is what if someone is planting that specifically for a host to find if like you're saying, somebody is trying to wake up the hosts and start some shit. Yeah. Hmm, I like it. I like that. Actually, is really, really cool. Again, like I have all these theories, but I'm glad that you said that. It makes a lot of sense that it would be a real working gun with a real bullet that would be effective. That being said, gotta clean that gun up. You know, <laughs> I mean, she, she probably knows how. She's a, she's a, she lives on the farm. It just looked like it looked really beat up. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> it's like it feels like that was a really rustic weapon. Uh, it's like the kind of thing where I don't know, like the like the sound of like dirt and metal. You know, like a yeah. really dirty metal thing just like makes your skin crawl, or at least it makes my skin crawl. So I don't like the idea of like a really rusty revolver that's just like covered in soil. So please clean that up before you use it, Dolores. I don't want to i don't want to feel those feelings but track the gun i think that's a track the gun you know it's definitely definitely something that's really interesting there uh another interesting thing with dolores is that she is taking meetings with bernard um the whole show opens with you know uh voiceover dialogue between bernard and dolores mm-hmm. uh you know him being like have you ever questioned the nature of your, your reality and she talks about how uh people like to see the bad side of things the disarray i see the good side and so they're clearly talking in that voiceover but for my money i don't remember any scenes between the two of them in the premiere is this the first time we're actually physically seeing them in the same space 
Gosh, I know it's only been two episodes, but it's been a while since I watched the first one. Because well, um, I think we see her, we see her with Luke Hemsworth, we see her with right? Ashley, we see her with the security guy uh, right. at the end of the premiere. But I don't think that we see her physically in the same room with Bernard. But when we see her with Bernard, when we see her with Jeffrey Wright's character in this episode, he's talking as if they've been talking. He's talking as right. if this is not our first, you know, this is not our first meeting. I've been interested in you for a little while. Yeah, maybe it's something from a future episode, the voiceover. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that a lot of things were rearranged. Um, yeah. For instance, the everything that happened with Tandy Newton in this episode was originally written to be in the premiere. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, the whole, you know, look behind the scenes and, you know, her starting to see visions. That was supposed to be, according to her and according to the writers, part of the plot of the first episode. And it got pushed to the second episode, which I think, uh, for pacing reasons, I think was a great call. That would have been way, yes. way too much to throw at us in that first episode. So I'm <laughs> glad they spaced that out. Yes. Um, so I, I could see if maybe if this was supposed to be part of the first episode of that connection between Bernard and Dolores was supposed to be clearer right off the bat. But in any event, they're talking and Bernard is really interested in following this thread. He knows that something is different about yes. Dolores. He does. And again, mole patrol. Um, I feel like he's too obvious of a choice, even though now we will get to him, but he's sitting with the boss lady. Um, I feel like he's the only one to actually, notice and be alarmed by difference um by the by the he knows the first one who knows that the reverie is causing the glitch yes um he he is i think he is the smartest person uh behind the scenes thus far uh and has more awareness that we know about it i think he has an agenda that we don't know about but i i'm rooting for him sort of more than anyone on that side well i mean well here's the thing though joe like we talk about the mole and we talk about who could be responsible for trying to wake up the hosts. If that's a yeah. thing that's actually happening on the show and it's not just an invention in our own minds, which <laughs> it could be. Uh, but if, if somebody on the, on the human side of things is messing around, are we looking at that person necessarily as a villain? I mean, or, I, no. or is that potentially someone who, if not outright heroic, uh, could be to to reference your your hat color of choice earlier. Could it be a gray hat? Could it be somebody who is who is doing this for reasons that they feel are are valid and good? And we might come to agree with that perspective. I, and if that's I, the I, case, then Bernard would be a good candidate for that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I'm not necessarily uh, painting the mole as a quote bad guy or girl. Um, I'm keeping sort of an open mind about that. I'm just curious as to what the real motivation is for so many of these characters. And I'm impatient. There's only been two episodes. Um, but let's go back to Dolores, if we may, because I have some theories. Talk about it. Let's do it. First of all, it's a very specific choice to put her in the blue dress Dolores uh, is the Alice in Wonderland of West Westeros world. <laughs> Westeros world. Drink. Hello, drink of Westworld. She is on the outside, the alluring Alice. On the inside, she's the white rabbit, and everyone wants to follow her. On the loop, on her narrative, everyone, like, so J um, Jimmy Simpson's character, William, notices her. Right. Uh, you have, uh, obviously, uh, James Marsden's uh, Teddy, totally drawn to her. Uh, I feel like it was a purposeful choice to have her in that outfit, and I might be overreaching, but she's blonde, she has the blue dress on, and I, I love literature, and I love Alice in Wonderland, and I just feel like it's a really nice touch. So is the man in black the Jabberwocky? 
He's many things. Now, I have a theory that sort of connects these two. If you're ready for me to either blow your mind or have you laugh out loud at me. Both of those things are acceptable outcomes to me. I look back at episode one. Her father, Mr. Abernathy, to me, when I first saw him, I thought, he looks like Ed Harris's doppelganger. And then I thought, whoever created him, created him in the image of someone from their life. So my conspiracy theory is, 30 years ago, Man in Black started this mission to find something. I think there is a connection between someone on the human side and the Man in Black, and it's a familial relation. And that that's why it was. There's a reason, even though he dragged her by the hair, there is a connection, uh, some kind of I believe familial and not gross sexual connection between yes. Dolores and the Man in Black, and that it goes that has to do with Mole Patrol. So what what are you thinking in terms of that? Are you thinking? I mean, one of the bold predictions that AJ made when he was on here last week is all appearances to the contrary because everything that we've seen from the man in black has been terrifying yeah uh, you know he drags dolores into the barn we don't see what happens into the barn it's right. vi- it's left up to your you know really violent imagination what's going on there but in this episode we see him shoot up a town we see him kill lawrence's wife yeah. uh we see him behaving very very badly uh do you think that there's a possibility that he's not the straightforward villain that he comes across as or or do you think that even if he does have a deeper connection to this place, you still see him as a force of antagonism? I totally think they're going to turn it on its head and he's going to be a redeemable, likable, okay, not likable, redeemable uh, man with a plan for sure. Is that what they're going to start calling him instead of the man in black, the man with a plan? Not as catchy. I don't think not so. No, but I also think, you know, calling him the man in black and having him dressed that way, you know, and have him be completely the opposite in reality is an interesting, you know, thing to th- to think about. And so I just really, I was drawn to the fact that Mr. Abernathy looked so much like him. And then I started going down the rabbit hole of family connections, revenge, avenging, why he would be trying for 30 years to figure out the game. Um, you know, is, is it motivated by something that happened to someone that Ed Harris loved? Yeah. Well, he's certainly not going back. Uh, that's what he says to Lawrence. I'm not going back this time. So he's committed to Westworld. He's here. He's not, yeah. he's not going anywhere. And he's been coming here for 30 years. So he feels, to me, it feels like he thinks that he's at the end of the line. Uh, it doesn't strike me as like, I'm not going back as in, I'm just going to kick up my feet and like chill in Westworld for a while and just, you know, do my thing. It's, yeah. It seems to me like, He's at the end of whatever his mission is. This is the final stretch here, which is curious timing considering we're at the very start of the show. Uh, but that seems to be what he's angling at. He has some sort of end game in mind already. And there was a, a word that was repeated that caught my eye. So um, just to go back a bit here, the, I believe it was Dr. Ford who said, we speak the right words, we create life itself out of chaos. And later in the episode, the man in black says, the real world's just chaos. Yeah. Well, and I was like, oh. Well, you can't imagine that this show is going to bring in Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris. Yeah. And not have these two interact. Absolutely. Right? I mean, like, and that could be as straightforward as the man in black accesses the deepest level of the game and it takes him directly to Dr. Robert Ford and they have a scene together. That's fine. Yeah. That that could work. That could be really, really great. But you have to at least consider the possibilities that – 
these are both older actors in their 60s and 70s who are super, super famous and you want to see them have a scene together. Why not have some shared history? And especially if Westworld is about 30 years old, as they've said in the show, or at least it's been 30 years since our our last crit failure, and the man in black has been coming for 30 years, that it's really not a leap to think that these two characters are linked. I not only think that, I'd like to think that they're brothers. Honestly, I, I'm wow. sorry to people who didn't watch Lost, but we have Jacob recruiting people to come to his island. You have the man in black in there, and he's seeking revenge. I'm just saying. Mm. You know, I'm just saying. You know what? I wasn't really I wasn't really thinking of Ford on Jacob terms because I think that there's there's something a little nefarious about Ford. Oh, I know. I know. Just, just I just had to make my my weekly lost reference. <laughs> oh, well, it's happening. I mean, hourly, <laughs> at least like uh, every 10 minutes or so. Of course. We have to. We have to go back. Uh but uh, but yeah. I but I do think with the man in black, uh, one of the things that I'm thinking with him is, you know, we get this line from Luke Hemsworth's character, from the security head, Ashley, uh, when the shoot-up happens at Lawrence's home. Yes. And, uh, you know, one of the technicians is like, oh, my God, he's really going hog wild. Should we, like, you know, decrease the difficulty level? And Luke Hemsworth says, that gentleman gets whatever he wants. Ding, ding, ding. That's, a, that's, that's you know, going to raise some flags. That's going to raise your eyebrows. So he's on the radar. Of, he has free reign. Yeah, he's on the radar of someone who's not even top of the line top level here. He's, you know, I think that, the, that Ashley is clearly a high up in security. But I can't imagine that he is like, you know, is he going to have the highest level of clearance? So at, even on that level, on probably like high level, mid-level ranked people, right? That yeah. that guy is aware that the man in black gets to do whatever he wants. So yeah. I, I, I wonder, like, is his identity just a secret to us? Is he a better known quantity to some of the people in Westworld? Like, do these people, is it, le- is it not such a huge secret who this guy is? Like, if he is, as you're positing, whether jokingly or not, that he's, let's say, Robert Ford's brother or, yeah. or something like that or a former business associate or something, mm-hmm. that this is a known thing, that this is a known quantity amongst the Westworld staff. I think that's a really interesting thought. I like it, and I, I, I'm going to watch the next few episodes through that lens because he does have more free reign than any visitor that we've certainly seen. I know it's only been two episodes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I find that very fascinating. I think we're on to something. I don't know what yet, but you and I are on to something. I like, uh, I, I like viewing him, once again, to get geeky with some lost stuff. I like, I like thinking of him as a John Locke type. Uh, you know, certainly John Locke and the man in black's, uh, fates are intertwined as Lost rolls along. But I like thinking of, you know, John Locke was such a gamer, loved gaming, loved nothing more. He loved Mousetrap. You know, he loved, uh, playing Operation. He always True. got stuck on the funny bone. Uh, but he was always good with that stuff, always playing backgammon and everything like that. And also somebody who was kind of socially isolated and was socially awkward. And I think that that's a nice way of putting some of John Locke's failings as a, as a human on the day-to-day level. And I like thinking of the man in black kind of in those terms as somebody who shows up with, you know, the proverbial briefcase filled with 400 knives uh, is the guy who's, who's coming here ready for his walkabout. But is he not as tough as nails as he, as he puts on? Right away. But also he feels like once he gets there, that it's his destiny. So there is a nice parallel there. Yeah. So I, I think that there's something there. Um, do you want to hear 
a theory about the man in black. Please. This is a theory. I've been seeing it pop up in a few places, but Brendan Fitzpatrick, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, wrote in to us with a pretty decent theory that I haven't seen kicking around. Love to get your take on this. Okay, uh, I, have, I have another one, but I could be totally wrong, but it could be his too. Go ahead. All right, let's, let's see. So Fitzy wrote in, Joe and Josh, two quotes really struck me this episode, and I wanted to go, go over where I think they may overlap some interesting thoughts about the structure of the show. Jimmy Simpson's buddy says to him, I can't wait for you to figure out who you are, and I can't wait to meet that guy. Maeve has the recurring quote, and in this world, you can be whoever the F you want to be. With these two themes of finding oneself and discovering who you are, I was struck by a couple of scenes in the episode. First, Dr. Tony Hopkins is wandering through his creation and comes across a boy. The boy is dressed similarly to him and has a similar mannerism and is, is, in my opinion, an actually young Dr. Ford who has been placed in the world by Dr. Ford himself. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, we both agree on that, I think. Uh, Yeah. This blends into, this is still Fitzy, this blends into my second theory that I have, and that is the show takes place over multiple timeline scenarios occurring simultaneously. And my main theory off of this multiple times and places idea is that I believe that Jimmy Simpson's character is a younger version pre-getting stuck in the Westworld game or choosing to live there of Ed Harris's Man in Black. The show made a distinct point to not only show us in slow detail the choice of choosing the clothing Jimmy Simpson's William would wear on his first visit, but it focused on the black hat and clothing longer than what he eventually chose, the white hat. The other point of this thesis is that uh, is, is the can. Dolores loses her can once again, but this time, instead of Teddy being there to pick it up, it's William. This could be the Dolores and William origin story to which Ed Harris referenced in the pilot, where he states they've known each other and have done this scenario for years. This is me interjecting to say, also, doesn't Ed Harris pick up the can and hand it to Dolores in the premiere? Pretty sure he does. Um, so that's, that's Fitzy's theory here, and I've been seeing this pop up a couple of places of people wondering if William is a young version of the man in black and if the William and Logan story is taking place at a different point in time than all the other stories that we're seeing or many of the other stories that we're seeing and one of the other pieces of evidence that I saw was if Teddy is always coming to Westworld by train you don't see Teddy on the train when William and Logan roll into Sweetwater here so maybe it's showing that it's a different point in time and I don't think other than Clementine and Dolores you're seeing any of the other hosts in the scenes with William and Logan yet so a lot to a lot to meditate on there had that been on your radar at all as a possible theory that was gonna be one of my theories at the end of the episode so nice job fitzy okay so (laughs) so you've been you've been meditating on that you've been thinking there might be multiple timelines going on here well absolutely i mean uh to me the tell was when what appeared to be a younger version of ford you know talking to himself which is like i feel like i'm not sure the younger version of himself was just sort of a uh an old man's needing reassurance that he's doing the right thing from his younger self, like an apparition or, you know, whatever it may be. But I do feel like the way he was dressed and his, the cadence of his walk, that he was a younger Anthony Hopkins and the fact that he was British, etc. And that made me think, Oh shit, we're not in any kind of linear. Uh, they're not presenting anything in a linear fashion. And then I go back, well, who picked the white hat and who right now do we know is, is the darkest of all black hats? And that's the man in black. So yeah, I love that theory. I think there's some serious merit to William being the man in black. 
Well, one of the things, just like thinking in terms of like physical characteristics, because, you know, Ed Harris is super famous. Yeah. Jimmy Simpson is not, you know, uh, he's not that he's not famous at that level, but he's also not an unknown quantity. So if you're right. gonna, if you're going to cast someone as a young Ed Harris, it's tricky business, I think. But I do feel like in terms of like mannerisms. Uh, I was noticing, and I don't think that this is a thing that Jimmy Simpson does all the time. Like, there's like a stiffness to his mouth. I don't know mm-hmm. if you if you picked up on that, like a physical stiffness to like the way his lips move. Uh, I was really focused on that. I don't know why I was drawn into that, but I was. Uh, well, I, and also I, the way that the Man in Black talks, like, has like a stiffness yes. to his mouth as well. Well, I thought that was a, an acting choice on Jimmy Simpson's part because I was thinking back to his. To me, the, the most prominent role he had before this was on House of Cards, where he played the hacker in the basement right. uh, of the government. And I was thinking that he was more expressive slash angry, and I just think that this was just. Um, it, I don't know if it was a character or a script choice to have him. That's another. It could be a tell that his he talks a little more stiff lipped like Ed Harris does 30 years in the future. Were there any other tells that you picked up on anything that linked the two characters more closely together for you? Cause I haven't watched the episode with this theory in mind. Uh, it's no, certainly something I'll time. think about as we keep going, but right. I haven't had time uh, to rewatch it. I only watched it once. And so, but I also would like to go back and study it, you know, in my spare time. <laughs> we'll find that. We'll find that. But I, th- I think it's a cool thing. I think it's something to, to look into at this point. It's not something that's like so locked in to my head as like a slam dunk. This is what's going on thing sort of in the way that uh, for another show that Antonio Mazzaro and I recently covered here on post show recaps, no spoilers. We felt very sure about a theory fairly early on and we were right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for this, for this, I think it's an intriguing possibility. I'm not yeah. locked and loaded into it, but I think it's something to watch. Especially, like, let's see if there are other hosts that they interact with, that William and Logan get to interact with, that would dispel the notion. Uh, right. If there's any differences in their Sweetwater adventures that are staggeringly different from what we are getting in what we believe to be the quote-unquote uh, present timeline. Um, yeah. Something to watch for sure. Absolutely. I love it. And the idea that I think is, is a flash forward of the, the Odyssey and Red River narrative that is implanted into uh, Tandy Newton's character. Maybe that's just, you know, it's something that we're going to see. I, I don't know. I think I, I like the idea of a nonlinear presentation. Uh, getting into the into the Odyssey on Red River stuff, how satisfying was it to see Anthony Hopkins just like totally poo poo this idea? Oh, he Megan trained her. He's like, my name is no. My sign is no. He needs to let it go. It was, it was great. It was so good. Uh, again, watching this at New York Comic Con in front of like a packed uh, crowd of people. Uh, most people were very quiet throughout the episode. Uh, okay. You know, just like kind of like really soaking it in and like gasping during like the big Ed Harris action scene, which we don't really need to talk about in great detail other than to say that was pretty ridiculous. That was <laughs> it was cool and scary and terrifying. Um, but there was the the moment where where Ford, you know, finally responds to Sizemore's pitch and just goes no, and everyone in the room cracked up. They were just oh, yeah. they were just dying at that delivery. It was so good. That's the first moment I thought maybe maybe the man behind the curtain, the conductor of the train himself, Doctor Ford is the mole and he's testing. Everyone. I think if you're on Mole Patrol, like you got to be suspicious of everyone on the human side of things. Absolutely. If we're really, if we're really going in on that, uh, yeah. And and I think especially Ford is the inventor of the reveries, and mm-hmm. we're connecting the reveries to the glitches, possibly. Yep. Uh, at least that's a theory that's positive in the first episode. I think you got to be looking at Ford as a suspect for sure. So this was a turn for you in that in that regard. 
It was. I, I, I love it. I love the also, like, if he's the mole, it doesn't relate to Ed Harris' character finally discovering, you know, the ends, the means to his end. I think that, I think, like, regardless of whether or not Ford is complicit in any shenanigans that are happening, you know, the goofy plays with the mozzarella sticks and the stuff on the walls. Uh, <laughs> if, if that's, if that's what's going on, if Ford is complicit in something like that, even if he's not, there's something off about this man. Uh, oh my God. This is not a guy who is altogether here. And I, and I think you don't have to look any further than him venturing out into Westworld, uh, yep. being accompanied by a small boy who you and I and Brendan Fitzpatrick agree seems to me to be a young version of himself. And if, yes. if Ford is the architect who can design all of these hosts, it would make sense like that he could do that. Like he could, you know, he knows what he was like as a kid. He knows what his body was like. He knows what his mannerisms were like. He would be able to create that kid and to yeah. have that kid act as a sounding board as he's venturing out toward this new idea or maybe an old idea that he's finally willing to brush off and really put into effect. That speaks volumes about the mental state of this man. It speaks volumes about this guy, Joe, even if that kid isn't a young version of Dr. Robert Ford, even if it's just like a young child host that he has chosen to bring along on this adventure, there's just something very, very dark about this man. Well, what struck me is, you know, we don't know what his, his uniquely original narrative is that he's secretly working on, but we see, a, you know, a cross. There's, so, a, there's a dark tower. A dark tower, exactly. And there's and a I man in black who is also a gunslinger, which is confusing. I mean, there's some Stephen King happening. Sure. Uh, what I thought was very interesting and what struck me is the line that he says, you can't play God without being acquainted with the devil. Yes. Well, he's about to introduce a religious narrative and he's playing with both. So I think that's fascinating. Is he going to make a, a Satan host? I don't know. I mean, God, how much darker is this going to get know. my friend? Do they make like actual monster hosts? It'd be terrifying. Uh, but he also, I mean, I think to the point of, you know, we're not just like, you know, shooting from the hip here. I think with this theory that the child and Ford are the same or that the child is a host version of Ford as a kid. There's, yeah. there's the story about boredom, right? Like, yeah. you know, my, my dad says, uh, like nobody can be bored uh, or like boring people aren't interesting. And, you know, Ford has, uh, his own philosophy on, uh, people who, you know, who don't understand boredom are simple themselves. And the kid is like, Oh, that's what I've always thought. So mm-hmm. there's like little details like that. It just feels like Ford is talking to himself. Uh, yeah. Which is scary. Very. <laughs> it's so great, man. Like you guys said on the first podcast, Anthony Hopkins. I mean, you, it's just incredible that he's on a weekly television show. And I know it's HBO, so it's not TV, but it's it's just incredible. Yeah. Another great line between these two, when he first encounters the child, the child asks him, are you lost? And Ford says, no, I just strayed a bit too far from where I'm supposed to be. Ding, ding. Yikes. <laughs> it's a scary thing. It's a, yeah. scary, it's a scary thing to say for sure. Oh man, I, I also wonder when you insert yourself into the narrative, if you you can be monitored from those who are monitoring the narrative. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so fascinating. I, I you know, like you, I, I'm stuck on the logistics of the the monitoring and the security and the person of interest of it all. Yeah, do they have eyes on Ford, or does Ford supersede all eyes in the sky? Uh, right. 
who knows? Who knows yeah. what, what his power? I mean, like it's hard for me to tell how much power he has in this place. We haven't yeah. we haven't really talked about Teresa, Teresa and Bernard, who are doing it. It's happening. Hello. Hey, I was surprised by that. By the way, that was a oh yeah, that was a shock to me. Well, I was worried he was going to be killed off when he was alone in his apartment, and I saw two wine glasses, and I was like, oh, maybe he's married. Um, and then I was like, oh god, someone's coming to the door. He's probably going to die. Right, and instead he, he uh, gets a booty call. He got booty called. Yeah, he got taken to. Uh, high tech heaven, uh, so to speak. Hot but Teresa, heaven. Teresa's probably also sleeping with Sizemore. I mean, let's be honest; she's manipulating everyone. Oh, sure. And I mean, it doesn't like maybe there's some sort of romantic intrigue between the two of them that they're not really articulating. But she even says, "Like uh, we never talk, Bernard. You know, we right. we, we just do our thing and then we go about our separate ways." Bernard, by the way, has a sweet apartment or whatever totally. it is. I mean, that view, my god. It's an upgrade from the Hunger Games. Let's put it that way. It looks like he's got Khaleesi's bedroom. Like, he's, <laughs> you know, it's a really, it's a really cool living quarters. But I, the point to to bring it back to Robert Ford is Teresa seems like she answers to people that we have not met yet. Yeah, um, she's corporate. Yeah, she's corporate. She has a higher power. She has a higher responsibility that she is looking out for, you know, sort of mysterious forces that have not fully come to bear yet. Granted, we're only two episodes into the show, so that stuff still has much time to really bear out. But so far, not a lot. Um, and I, I wonder who's in charge here. Like, is F- Ford is the visionary, clearly, is the guy who, without him, the science wouldn't be possible. The hosts would not be possible. None of this would be possible. And Bernard is sort of a protege and is, you know, a, a you know another genius who mm-hmm. can kind of follow in those footsteps but is not the og guy but is is ford still in charge or is he is he just like kind of you know sort of the reclusive figurehead who is you know uh allowed to you know like kind of like a stan lee who is allowed to like cameo in all the marvel movies but doesn't <laughs> really have any sort of narrative control so i think that that's a tension that i'm looking forward to seeing explored Absolutely. And by the way, I, I wasn't trying to slut shame Teresa if she was sleeping with Sizemore and Bernard. I was just thinking that she. But you she's... can question her taste because Sizemore oh. seems like a piece of crap. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's certainly playing both sides in terms of end game. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't think she, I'm not on mole patrol with her for some reason, maybe because she's so corporate. But I would like to see more scenes with her and Ford. And because Ford said no to the narrative that Sizemore presented, but then I think it, it does come to play because I see it as a flash forward in Maeve's dream slash nightmare. Yeah. Um, I feel like. They, a lot of people treat him sort of with kid gloves, like, that's cute grandpa. And they don't run things by him. And Elsie goes and fixes things behind his back. So, uh, you know, I think that they think he's on the way out. Sizemore clearly, and I think Teresa have plans to become number one and two and get rid of him. Yeah. And now he's expressing interest in being involved. Yeah. That's going to, you know, that's going to put a finger in your plan. Like, that's not totally. something that you want to have happen right now. This is not good. Uh, nope. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, you've got Hannibal Lecter on your show. Don't you want, yeah. don't you want to take, you know, you want to see him take a little bit of a turn toward the Hannibal, at least, if not go all the way, you know, ripping people's faces off and wearing them <laughs> on his own. But I think you want to see, you know, a darker edge to the character. I think we're already seeing that. But the scope of it and what it could look like. Uh, it's still, it's still a little nebulous to me, but everything that we've gotten from him up to this point, Terry, it's a little, it's a little alarming with this guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. I think that's, those are like the main beats from the episode. What haven't we covered that you would like to touch on? Well, in episode one, I became obsessed with the milk. Now, you might think I'm crazy, and I am, but I, I was thinking about, they purposely show the creation 
of the skin of the bodies that house the technology for the host. The corporeal figures are created in this milk like substance. Right. So I was thinking about how milk is used in the narrative. And I wonder if that is either part of some kind of trigger or part of the mole's plan, some kind of liquid or chemical, um, you know, again, I, I don't have all the pieces, but I feel like, it's not milk. Well, there's so just to clarify what this is, like there's the guy who's who's shot everybody up and he's kind of just like losing his mind. He's going haywire. He's talking about Arnold, whoever Arnold is. Hey, Arnold. Uh, he's drinking milk and like milk is coming out of his bullet hole and he's like spilling it on people. So you think that that's not just straight up milk. You think that there's something weird going on with that? I, I do just because I keep showing the milky substance where they create the bodies. Yeah, I think it does. It does at least bring that to mind. Yeah. Uh, of you know, which by the way, we did. I don't think that we really got into this last time, but the title sequence is so cool. Oh. Uh, but just like the the visual image of dipping the host body is like creating like their physical form in this white substance is yes. evocative of a few things. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the miracle, I, the miracle of life, Joe. I was looking for you to say it in a nice way. <laughs> you know, the miracle of life, it is happening. It is a uh, digital load. Yeah. It is a, it is- <laughs> a digital load. Oh my God. Indeed. Uh, but I, I, th- I think that, you know, that substance, it's, it's a very arresting visual. And I think linking the milk to it and somebody, you know, if, if the concept of this show is this creation, of these people of of men acting like gods and their creations now rebelling against their gods and showing their own form of sentience uh to like carry that visual to like see a host pouring milk all over a body whether or not like it's the same substance or it's just metaphorically linked uh i think really conjures up images of the theme of the show of like careful what you wish for like you can create life but you can't control it necessarily life at birth mother's milk yes. i'm just saying yeah i uh, see it i like it yeah i'm also interested in um future narratives and i know that, that i feel like this show has potential for many seasons and i really like that because uh, as you know there's future world and other potential worlds that can be introduced medieval world what up right <laughs> literally westeros world literally drink uh i'm curious about when you think this is actually taking place because to have the Western landscape and narrative is such an archaic masculinity, you know, archaic uh, time in in the history of our world in terms of um, roles and masculinity. And so was that a purposeful choice and why it's so popular? Yeah. I, I talked about this with AJ. I, I want to know what this world looks like. Yeah. And I don't mean, you know, future world or Roman world or medieval world. I don't need to see what other theme parks look like if they exist, um, which I would not be shocked to see. Um, I want to know what kind of world has Westworld in it. You know, what kind, where, where are, are William and Logan coming from when they show up? What Given Bernard's quarters, it seems very futuristic. Yes, definitely. So I, I think that, you know, I don't think we're, you know, 10 years down the line. I don't think we're 20 years down the line. I think that we're, I think we're decently far in the future here. I would, you know, I would, I would not put it earlier than, especially if the park has been around for 30 years. Yeah. So I think we're in like 2100 something. Um, would be like, I would, I would, I would go no earlier than like 2100. Here's a theory. 
what planet are they on? <laughs> you think I'm kidding? No, I don't. I don't think you're kidding. Um, wow. <laughs> you never know. No, you don't. You don't. Um, I think that's a cool idea. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think it could be cool if they're not on Earth. What, yeah. What would be the utility of that, like thematically for you? Like, what would be the resonance of having this place not be on Earth? I feel like there could be properties uh, in the soil that are utilized by the creators. Um, I feel like there could be uh, environmental positives that assist the game. I feel like there could be so many different factors um, and those could come into play. I mean, I don't know. I, I Maybe it's just because I just watched Tomorrowland and I'm full of like the future. And I was just thinking about how there's so much unexplored, um, life and territory out there. What if, you know, people always talk about the properties on Mars and the little that we know. And I just started, and I'd recently watched The Martian and I started thinking about, I mean, this is the rabbit hole I go down. Um, and so, you know, I just think it's, since we don't know the time, uh, it could potentially be somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, if we don't know the time, then we don't know the place. Right. You know, I, I think that if we're speculating, and I don't think it's speculation, this takes place in the future at, at some point. Yes. Um, why couldn't it take place off Earth? Um, not something that I had thought about a ton. Uh, not the first time that it's it's come to mind, but not not anything that I'd really given serious thought to. But I think it's it's worth looking at until we're told otherwise. Right. Um, that being said, how much does it cost to be in Westworld per day? <laughs> it's like it's do like, we actually know? Because I, I I have a number in my head which is forty thousand dollars for the narrative. Yeah, I think that's right. So like. I guess that doesn't cover, you know, they didn't speak to travel costs. No. Like you would think that that plane ticket, if you're coming from Earth, would be would be pricey. Unless, you know, humanity has colonized other places at this point. So. Dude, they just take orange juice and get on a submarine. It's fine. <laughs> that's, all, that's, all that, that's all that you need. That's all you need. Um, but the only thing I would end with, which is, I'm curious to see it. I have a feeling they will do this. The perspective of a female visitor. Okay, yeah, I would love to see that, too. I just feel like that would be fascinating. And I think it's sort of depraved that people bring their children here and spend the money and it's like expose them to um, actions without consequence. I don't know if that's like a, a lesson in a building, you know, a, a developmental building tool, but it's an expensive, effed up thing to do to bring your children to Westworld, A. But B, you know, given the violence and the setting and uh, what's happening, wouldn't you like to know what it's like for a female visitor. Yeah, well, I loved the scene between the female guest and um, and Maeve. Uh, yes. With Maeve coming on to her, that wasn't yeah. that wasn't enough because you're not really getting that perspective. But I love yeah. the idea. I love the idea. Um, I, I wonder if there's just too much business happening in season one for that yeah. to be a thing. Um, like if season one, if we're like tracking a William and Logan arc, is there room for another guest's point of view? I think that probably would be. I, I think that there's a way that you could make that work uh or, or it could be something that you're really fleshing out in a second season uh, right but i think a second season assumes that westworld is still standing and who knows yeah. uh, you know this show does not have to be confined to this one spot uh, yeah. or at least the park does not have to be like operational in a traditional sense right um, so season two would feel like a little early for everything to like really have blown up that badly absolutely absolutely uh, oh god it's so good it's good, right? Like I think that, uh, you know, two episodes in, it's really, it's really intriguing. It's very strong. The, the, the can we talk about the uh, production value of this? So was, I did notice Zach Grobler, who was the set production designer on Lost, designed Westworld. No and shot. So, yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, obviously he had the book and the movie, and and, and Jonathan and Lisa and everyone 
uh, helping, but the, 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 the visual that he has created is spectacular. It just doesn't feel green screen. It's really great. I mean, like it's all it's all shot in California. Uh, okay. It's like all near the LA area, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like the Wild West, man. Like it looks like I don't know. It looks like Yellowstone. It looks like it's it, vibrant. It's alive. Whereas, like I've drawn more to the tech side of the design, which is colder by design. Yes. And I just I really love you know as creepy as it is I love that there's a cold storage and there's an there's an agricultural horse and cow building place and that that you know like you don't actually see any traditional offices um, I just think that the the setting everything from Bernard's quarters to the trains um, I think that there's a lot of attention to detail that I really appreciate on Westworld I have a gripe okay my gripe is why do they have like escalators on every single floor like that one like top down shot of bernard taking like a million escalators to get up to his apartment why not just take the elevator at that point like doesn't it feel like uh you're just like you're shooting that expense off into the universe no one's ever going to take all of those escalators all the way to the top i think for scenes with characters where there's a lot of dramatic thinking you either have two choices which is you walk that's boring or you take an elevator i think escalators i i notice it in films too they just add a little bit of dramatic. You're expecting somebody to either attack them or leave them alone. And it's just more dramatic to be taking a moving structure. And I, I think that element transportation. It just seems like a lot of escalators. It just seems like there's... <laughs> like, I didn't notice the excessive <laughs> escalators. They really escalated the escalator game. It's a to heaven, man. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Anything else from this episode, Joe, before we sign out? I'm sure I'm forgetting something, and I would like to also say that I'm sure I'm wrong on a lot, but the fun is the speculation. Oh, yeah. At no point should we apologize for being wrong. The whole point of this exercise is to be wildly wrong and then uh, occasionally proven gloriously right. You know, that's what we're, that's what we're hoping for. Like we want like one out of 10, you know, we want to get like a 10th of these, right. That would be good. That would be, and we really appreciate like your feedback. You guys have been sending stuff on Twitter and um, I know that, you know, Josh will provide email address and, and we love the feedback and please send in your theories. They're fun to analyze. Yes. This week, most of the feedback was, Where's the Westworld podcast? Well, <laughs> it, it's here. Joe is getting back from vacation. We recorded as quickly as we possibly could. So dropping a little bit late this week, of yes. course. The good news is it's not going to be nearly that long between this podcast and our episode three podcast. Joe and I are aiming to podcast every Monday after these episodes drop on Sundays. So we'll turn these around as quickly as we possibly can. Just work with us. We got schedules. We're doing what we can. Uh, yes. But we would love your feedback. We would love to hear from you guys. We've got an email address for you to send your feedback through westworld at postshowrecaps.com. You can also send through our feedback form, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. And you can tweet to Joe and I. Joe is at Joe Pinionated, like opinionated with a J in the front. I'm at Round Howard. Those are all the ways that you can contact us. Those are great ways to contact us. We love the feedback. We would really appreciate getting that. We'd love to have the conversation going as we're trucking through Westworld here. We're also going to have welcome to westworld.com established at some point in the near future. I believe this is a weekend project for you, Joe. Yes, I'm going to try and get it up and running this weekend. And if anyone out there is an expert in building a 
Very simple website on Squarespace. Please tweet me. All right. Hit up Joe. You have the information on how to do that. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, we would love that as well. Postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld will get you to our page on iTunes. Subscribe. Leave us your reviews. Leave us your ratings. Those are super important as we're building this podcast. We want to get this podcast out to as many listeners as possible. Be honest. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Hopefully you like what we're doing. I'm really happy. I think that this was a great podcast, Joe. Really fun to get you back on the horn I, I love it it's so much fun to just literally talk out how i used to blog which is just throw some theories out there see if they stick some of them have been sliding right off the wall yes and so <laughs> that's the fun of it and i i love uh being able to do this for you so thank you for being my co-host it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a really good time all right hashtag time hot tech heaven was a was a front runner for a yes. minute but then you busted out hashtag digital load and i don't know what to do I actually said digital womb. Oh, God. I, well, that's where my head is gone. Oh, boy. Get me out of here. It's too we late, on, about, too late on the, the East Coast. Session, so you're done. All right. How about hashtag hot tech heaven? We can go with that. We can keep hot it. Hot tech heaven it is. We can keep it, we can keep it PG, uh, unlike my filthy mind. I've spent way too much time in Westworld. The, the pravity is getting to me. The disarray. It's actually Westeros world where you've been depraved. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly it. All right. We will be back recapping episode three next week. Thanks so much for your patience, guys, and thank you for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Take it easy, Joe. Have a good time in your narrative, people.